How did you find out about it, by the way? I have to tell you. Okay. Secret Uh, sources. I could I could tell you, but not on, not on the podcast. Okay. This is Behind the Lens, a podcast from the Lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. On this week's episode, this summer, the Louisiana Office of Juvenile Justice quietly entered into a year-long contract with a private company to provide security at two Louisiana youth prisons, bypassing the normal contract approval process by requesting emergency authorization. That story, insight, and analysis coming up on Behind the Lens. Joining me this week, criminal justice reporter Nick Crastle. Hey, Nick. Hey, Carolyn. Hi. So we're going to dig into this story that you wrote this week about this company, Coleman, who has been uh, hired by OJJ through emergency authorization in order to, the emergency authorization was a mechanism to bypass conventional contract approvals. And in doing so, they have raised some eyebrows. Um, but we're, let's get into those details in a minute. But first, can you set the stage for us with some of the, the history serving, if you will, um, youth that had been imprisoned in Louisiana and, and what the issues that were coming up? The sort of recent history, which we've talked about before a little bit on here, um, has been a, a several years of pretty troubling incidents at um juvenile justice facilities. They're called secure care facilities in Louisiana, and they function basically as youth prisons. These are kids who have been arrested, been adjudicated, which is like the juvenile system version of a trial where they get sentenced by a judge. And so they're, you know, essentially serving time in these secure care facilities, um, sort of like a prison. Um, But, you know, they're supposed to be receiving education and they're supposed to, it's supposed to be uh, rehabilitative. This is not supposed to be for punishment. It's supposed to be, um, you know, to to provide care for these kids so that when they get out, they can um, go into society and 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 be productive and successful. Um, but there's been a, a string of violent incidents, um, escapes, and uh, you know, riots in these facilities, along with. Um, a number of reports about the conditions of these facilities, including kids being held in solitary confinement for, you know, days on end, um, not receiving any education, just really, really bleak stuff, not receiving mental health care. Um, so you have these kind of two two issues, and, and the Office of Juvenile Justice has been trying to respond to that in, in various ways. One of the most high profile was sending kids to Angola, um, at it, a former death row site, I, you know, they deconditioned uh, the, the former death row site and put kids there and they were there for several months until a judge ruled that they weren't getting, they were being held in solitary confinement still, they weren't getting proper uh, education and um, counseling and so they were forced to move them. Um, so there have been a series of these issues and one of the, one of the problems has been that the OJJ hasn't been able to find enough enough staff. Um, that problem has been exacerbated by all these, you know, escapes and violent incidents and and people not feeling safe at the facilities. So they've been struggling with this with staffing for for a while now. And one of the things they did was brought in adult prison guards um, from the State Department of Corrections to act as security officers. But that apparently, you know, based on 
kind of gleaning from some emails that we have, the Department of Corrections seems to have wanted to take those guards back. And that's kind of how, how we get to the point where OJJ is attempting to get this emergency contract um, from state procurement officials this summer. Okay. Can we tie... Maybe that, oh. Sorry, I was long, long-winded. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Can, can we tie some of the staffing issues back to the pandemic or did, did the problems predate pandemic staffing stuff? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, that's what the um, agency points to. So they answered a handful of the questions that I sent in and they said basically this was necessary. Yeah, partly due to the pandemic, partly due to kind of some of the incidents that I, I just mentioned. But, you know, it's not just OJJ. Uh, we see state agencies and particularly corrections agencies having trouble staffing um, all over the state mm. and all over the country, quite frankly. So um, the Louisiana Department of Corrections has very low staffing numbers. The you know New Orleans Sheriff's Office has very low staffing numbers. It's right. a, a problem all over. Um, so it's hard to tell what, what is agency-specific versus just kind of this problem that we're, we're seeing everywhere. And you mentioned the story that you had covered about shipping kids, sending them up to Angola, which which was really troubling just because of the... Angola has such a reputation, and they they went took some pains to um, try to make those kids to band-aid over the issues with going to Angola, separate facility, things of that nature. But remind me, weren't there also some either contemplated or actual times when they were thinking of or did do send kids to out-of-state facilities as well? Yeah, they did. So they, uh, OJ did briefly send kids to a facility in Alabama um, to deal with sort of overcrowding at the Louisiana facilities, um, which was sort of a commercial decision that ended up not lasting very long because um, they were involved, some of the kids that were involved in a fight and ended up being sent back. Um, and, you know, out of state facilities we've reported on before is, is something that local municipalities will do. These are kids not in OJJ custody, but in the custody of kind of local sheriff's offices. And if they don't have juvenile detention centers in their parishes or in their cities, sometimes they'll send them across state lines, which, you know, some people argue is in violation of state law. Right. Um, but it's never really been settled by the courts. Um, but yeah, OJJ has done that um, briefly, too. I don't believe that they're still doing that. Um but yeah, I mean, just one more kind of example of them sort of reaching for for potential solutions to to these issues that they've been having. Right, right, right. Okay. All right. So you outlined how I, I want to get to this contract in a minute, but tell me first and foremost, what is the difference between what's required of staffing at a juvenile facility? from a um, adult facility of the staff. So what kind of training do they need? What kind of, you said they're supposed to get education. What other, what other things happen at a juvenile facility that distinguishes it from a, a typical adult facility? Well, these the sort of entry-level guards that are hired by the Office of Juvenile Justice are called juvenile justice specialists. You know, they're not 
hired as prison guards specifically, they're supposed to be there to engage with the kids to, you know, they're not their teachers, but to facilitate their education, to create a therapeutic environment where these kids will, you know, kind of flourish and not just kind of in the way we think of an adult prison where you're just there to sort of maintain locked up. um, Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that idea, I haven't spent time in these juvenile facilities. Um, I think that there's, there's a a wide gap between kind of the ideals of, of what they're supposed to be providing and obviously what, what they're actually providing. Um, that's kind of the, the main thing in terms of the actual requirements for numbers and, and what each facility is supposed to have. I don't know off the top of my head, but okay. the general idea is, yeah, they're supposed to be providing educational services, therapeutic services, um, and, and really focusing on rehabilitation. Okay. Do you know how many facilities, youth facilities there are in the state of Louisiana? Do you think they're all facing these same kind of problems or we're just focusing on this, these two facilities? So, so right now there's seven secure care facilities, but one of them, uh, the office just canceled the contract with. So I think is in the process of closing if it hasn't closed already. And I believe they may be working to open another facility. So somewhere in the, you know, realm of, of seven different facilities is, yeah. Okay. And all, do you know if they all are having staffing issues or are we just focusing on, on these two? That's a good question. I'm not sure what the breakdown in terms of the staffing issues that I, it sounds to me like it's a department wide problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, last year, the deputy secretary said there were over 300 vacancies at the agency and they've been, you know, I think pulling probation and parole officers to provide security. I think they've been, like I said, pulling, um, adult department of corrections, uh, officers. So I think it's pretty widespread. I don't have a super clear answer for why, you know, as we'll talk about this contract focuses on two facilities, um, Swanson Center for Youth in Monroe and uh, Acadiana Center for Youth in St. Martinville. I'm not really sure why those two specifically needed the, the staffing help more than than some of the other facilities uh, that the agency is running. You know, as I noted in the story, both of these facilities have had issues, pretty pretty serious issues, but so have some of the other facilities. And you know, I don't think it can necessarily just be pinned to that. So I don't really have a good answer for for why these two and not the other. Okay. You're listening to Behind the Lens. I'm Carolyn Heldman. My guest this week is criminal justice reporter Nick Crestel. Hi, I'm Marta Jusen, education reporter at The Lens. The Lens has been a vital part of the news landscape, not just here in New Orleans, but nationally as a model for what we do, what we don't do, and perhaps most importantly, what we value. As news organizations shrink and become more and more polarized and entrenched in their camps, we know how important it is to provide ethical, honest, and professional journalism to help you make sense of the news. Please help us continue to provide you with the news that matters to you. Make an online donation today at thelensnola.org. Thank you. All right, so tell us what happened with this, with OJJ and this this contract that sort of, I guess, under cover of darkness, or I don't know how to characterize it, but quietly in, engaging in a contract that 
went around typical contract procedure? Yeah, so we have limited information, but for, here's what here's what I know. Yeah. Um, sometime last summer or spring, the Office of Juvenile Justice reached out to officials in the State Division of Administration that usually issues uh, requests for proposals, which is kind of the official way you go about procuring a contract, and said, we have these Department of Corrections guards that need to get back to their regularly, you know, scheduled jobs at the adult prisons. And we've been recruiting staff, but we've enough and we need to enter into a, a private contract uh, to, to stop our facilities. Um, and, you know, we would like to have emergency authorization for this, which as far as I can tell is, you know, issued by the state procurement officials once uh, a uh, uh, been selected and it it bypasses sort of the six month or sometimes longer process that it takes to publicly solicit um, uh, proposals. So that was in the spring and you know there were some emails back and forth where OJJ was independently soliciting bids for a private security contract they were looking for 52 employees for, they said, either a six-month or a year-long contract. And so they reached out to a couple um, security companies and a few staffing agencies, which a number of them kind of fell through for various reasons. Um, although one of the staffing agencies did give them a quote, and we can kind of talk about how it compared to the Coleman quote. But not long after they initially reached out to state procurement officials, they said, we've, you know, kind of done this independent solicitation of bids and we've landed on this contract with Coleman. It is a one year long contract for $9.5 million for them to provide um, 52 employees for, for this, you know, for these two facilities and also uh, transportation and lodging for, uh, for those employees. Um, and that's a really large contract for, for the agency, you know, one of, one of its largest. And it was approved quite quickly. It was approved in um, uh, early July and signed. So that was kind of the process, this pretty expedited process for how they got this contract. So just to back up for a second, because y you said that the other facilities, the, the adult facilities were saying, we need our guards back. And these are the people who'd been remanded over to the youth facilities and and the you know the other facilities are saying okay done we need we need our dudes and women back so that's and they they were showing the OJJ was trying to show in in order to justify this emergency authorization that they'd been going through the normal steps and had been unsuccessful at recruiting the um personnel that they needed to maintain guards and other I, I hesitate to call them guards because you, you've outlined how important it is that they're part of the rehabilitation process rather than just guarding these kids. But they hadn't been able to get the staffing that they needed. Does that all sound right to you? That's, that's right. Okay. So has Coleman ever been known to OJJ before? Had they worked with this company before? Not that I'm aware of. And as far as I can tell, Coleman hasn't had any state contracts. Um, and 
I've had trouble finding any kind of solid information. They don't really have a publishing website. Um, Bridget Coleman, who who runs the company, uh, responded to to an email and said that they have um, experience with staffing augmentation and, and technical assistance with federal agencies. Um, I don't have the, the details on that, but it doesn't appear, you know, I asked both OJJ and Coleman if they had any experience, you know, staffing detention facilities or providing security staff for, for juvenile facilities and um, neither of them responded. And I'm, I'm, my understanding is that, you know, it doesn't seem like to have. So I'm not sure how they were initially connected. That is a question that I'm continuing to kind of press on um, and, and hope to get to the bottom of, but um, it's not entirely clear to me right now. Okay. And some of the, eyebrow raising tidbits in, in the details of this contract are, um, the amount of money they're paying per employee and some of the perks, I suppose, are the right word. Let's go into that a little. The amount of money in general is sort of the big thing. Um, you know, it's, it, it basically breaks down to $180,000 per employee per year, which I want to be very clear, the employees are not getting that money. Um, They're making somewhere around $25 an hour. And we're not sure how much of the um, expenses that the agency is paying to Coleman are going to the employees for their room and board and food and things like that. Um, But Overall, that's what it comes down to. It it amounts to them paying one hundred and eighty thousand dollars per person per year. Um, but you know, one clear discrepancy is the twenty twenty five dollars an hour that the employees are making, and Coleman is billing OJJ seventy five dollars an hour. Um, so right there, you know, two thirds of it is 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 going to the company as opposed to the uh, employees, and you know. I'm not super familiar with how staffing agencies work. So it wasn't, you know, to me, I looked at it and I thought that seems pretty startling. Um, And I know no one else in the agency is making $75 an hour, certainly not entry level people working in the, uh, in the facilities with the kids, but you know, they're in dire need of staffing. Maybe, maybe that's just how this works. But one sort of interesting thing I found, um, in emails was was that OJJ had actually gotten another quote from a company called uh, Amon Security, and they had um, offered to bill OJJ $23 an hour, um, and they were going to pay their guards something like 17 which is, you know, around what an entry-level guard generally makes at OJJ. And the delta um, between those two is not quite as jaw-dropping as 25 to 75 Right. So, you know, it seems to me that had this gone kind of through the the full process, they may have seen some other other proposals that look kind of similar to this. The reason that OJJ gave for not going with the Ammon proposal was that they said that they couldn't provide. And this is what represented by OJJ. I haven't confirmed this with Ammon, although I, I did try calling them. Um, was that they couldn't provide transportation and housing for their employees. 
um, which I guess was was kind of a non-starter for JJ. Mm. Um, although if they were able to show up to work every day, I'm not sure what this sort of thought process was there. Because um, wait, because but I guess that. Would... Yeah, but I mean, just wait. Let me back up because isn't this isn't the seventy five dollars an hour for Coleman? That's does not include transportation and housing. That does not include transportation and housing. That's right. You know, Coleman is billing $75 an hour just for the labor and then additionally charging $98 a day for lodging, $59 a day for meals and incidentals, and then also billing for for travel between Baton Rouge and um, the facilities. So just kind of the extent of of the cost of the cost of everything is is pretty stark. So, you know, the frustration from some of the advocates and, and attorneys that I talked to really had to do with looking at the services that are being provided at these facilities and the kind of lack of qualified people to interact with these kids, the lack of teachers there, the lack of um, counselors. And I'm saying, well, if we're paying the equivalent of $180,000 to this private company for entry level guards, you know, where that, where could that money have gone if we really focused on trying to hire the most qualified people to come to these facilities and, 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 and interact with our kids and where would that get us? And, you know, it, it, people, people are feel quite frustrated that that's not where um, the money is going and that's not the, doesn't seem to be the priority of OJJ. Right. Because to be clear, these are not specialists. They're not, they're not what OJJ has said is necessary. This is, this is just, we need to have staff there and we're going to do whatever we have to, to get people in. And that includes paying $180,000 a year per person to the company. And they're not specially trained juvenile facility staff. No, that's okay. right. And OJJ itself, you know, they have not provided a ton of information, but they themselves said these are entry level staffers. Um, okay. They are not sort of suggesting anything else. So yeah, that that's about it. They are, you know, and another issue is even aside from the specific qualifications of any of the individuals is the fact that this is a year long contract. Um, so, you know, as one attorney pointed out in the piece, in order to kind of really make progress with these kids, they need some sort of stability and, and, you know, relationships with the people who, who they're working with. And a year long contract just does not bode well for that. Nick, they've been in place since when? They're they've staffers. Been in place since the contract has been in place since July 1st this year. And so we can assume that they staffed up right away well yes i'm what my understanding is is that the guards have gone that the coleman employees went through some basic ojj training um and then and ojj says that the the coleman has provided all 52 of the promised employees to okay facilities but they they won't turn over any information about it to me. So I've requested, the contract is very clear that they're supposed to provide staffing plans, uh, I believe on a weekly basis and invoice on a monthly basis. Or I could have those two things flipped around. 
But in any case, there's supposed to be regular invoices and regular staffing plans submitted to uh, OJJ, which I've requested. And, um, you know, they've provided this very strange response where they the legal department says, we don't have that we've given you all the information. Our section of OJJ has been provided um, in response to your request. So they won't say that these things don't exist, hmm. um, only that they have not received them from presumably whatever section of agency does have them. I'll just be very clear. That's not how public records uh, works. Um, right. You, you just have uh, so to be I'm, really careful with how you word it, I guess. I mean, you have to ask for you know, it. And... I, you know, <laughs> if these records exist, they're public records, and if <laughs> they're not sending them, then it's a violation of public records law but in any case you know there's very little information or transparency coming out of the agency um with regards to who exactly they've hired i will say i talked for this story i talked to a, a woman who used to work at swanson um and she wrote a really pretty interesting uh op-ed for, for the newspaper a couple um months ago or maybe about a year ago now talking about how she wanted to work, work with the kids in there and felt sort of stymied by OJJ at every turn. You know, she wanted to kind of bring in um, kind of rewards and treats for the kids, just candy and things like that. And what was told she wasn't allowed. She wanted to bring in some materials to, um, you know, to use in, in the classroom and, and was told she wasn't allowed. And, you know, her feeling was, if you want to retain staff, you need to be working with them. You know, if, if staff are demonstrating a real desire to, to work with these kids, you should be kind of facilitating as much as possible the efforts that they're making. And she certainly didn't feel that from, from OJJ. And, you know, her feeling was by contracting out your lung, you're kind of submitting that these people are going to be coming here for a paycheck. You know, you're not having any expectation that mm. they are viewing this as any commitment beyond, you know, getting their ride to the facility each day from Baton Rouge or from wherever they're coming from um, and getting their $25 an hour from, from Coleman and, and going home and, and doing that for a year until, until the contract runs out. And you know, her feeling was we re that the agency really needs to start investing in, in people who, who are demonstrating that they that they care about this this work. So, you know, that answer is a little bit uh, a way of avoiding the 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 real answer to the question, which is that I don't know exactly how it's going currently in the facilities with Coleman, um, and it's something I'm, I'm you know working to try and figure out and. and talk to anyone who is currently in there. So if anyone is listening and, and working at mm. uh, uh, Swanson, Acadiana, and wants to reach out, um, please do that. Is this, Nick, a potentially a step or a bridge toward an effort to privatization? You know, I don't think there's any... I haven't seen any evidence that 
the agency will sort of go back to fully privatized secure care facilities um, as they've done in the past. But I think it's something to keep an eye on. I mean, I think privatization, you you know, we've seen it in healthcare and in adult prisons. We've seen it um, in all sorts of other aspects of, of incarceration. Um, you know, people, when people can make money off something, there are issues that arise, um, issues that are specific to that. There are always issues um, in these facilities, but um, like I said, there, there's a certain um, type of problem that, that arises when, when people can make money off, off people who are, who are locked up. So it's something to you know, kind of keep an eye on, especially with the a new governor um, coming in. I think there could be some shakeups at, at um, various agencies and, and maybe changing the way of doing things. So we'll see. Mm, right. Okay. And Nick, before I let you go, let me ask you one final question. Any any um, news on the phase three front? So phase three, great question. Um, <laughs> the contractor has been issued a notice to proceed with construction. And I actually biked by uh, the other day, and this was, this was a couple of weeks ago, so things may have changed since then, but they were kind of setting up a staging area uh, for construction. So they hadn't actually gone into the jail yet. They may have now. Um, but you know, they were clearing an area on city owned land to, um, yeah, prepare for construction. Um, the sort of newsy update is that I think we've talked about it on here before, but, uh, the advocacy organization voice of the experience, which has been, uh, opposed to phase three and, and really outspoken filed a lawsuit, I'm not sure if it was last month or the month before, uh, alleging that the city had had um, illegally allocated funding to phase three by not getting city council approval. And mm. that lawsuit was just kicked back from from federal court to state court. Um, and that's where phase uh, that's where vote wanted uh, the lawsuit in the first place. So a New Orleans district judge will soon be kind of taking up this case of whether or not the city uh, inappropriately allocated this funding. Let's say that the judge does rule that they misallocate, that they illegally allocated the funding. I still don't have a clear answer on how that will actually impact the construction of phase three. Mm. Um, I've reached out to this to try and get a clear answer, but um, I have not heard anything. So that's kind of where it's at. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of plugging along in the face of these, these, you know, constant uh, legal challenges to it. And, you know, quite frankly, we'll, we'll see how they're resolved. And that may just be how it is for, you know, I could see other legal challenges popping up even as construction continues. So that just may be how this thing proceeds, but Hmm. um, we'll see. Okay. All right, Nick, thank you. It's a great story. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for your time. We'll talk to you later. Uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Carolyn. Okay. Talk See ya. This is Behind the Lens, a podcast from The Lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. Thanks to my guest this week, criminal justice reporter Nick Crastle. 
You can read all the week's other news plus opinions at our website, thelensnola.org. Thanks for listening.